There are large organizations out there that have tried to define what that policy is now with, you know, dates like September in mind to kick those things off. And there's been backlashes. It's not going to be a fixed solution. It's going to be pretty agile to adjust expectations. Hello and welcome back to Explain It, brought to you by Softcat, the show for IT professionals by IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on the detail. I'm your host, Zach Abbott, and in this episode, we'll be talking a very topical subject, the return to office. It can't have escaped your notice that the workplace has looked very different over the past year, but with the successful rollout of the COVID vaccination program reducing risk, organizations are starting to welcome staff back to their traditional workplaces. But this is not an overnight switch. There is a plethora of factors to consider when planning the return to office. Over the next 40-ish minutes, we'll be giving you a rare insight into the inner workings of the Softcat engine room and discussing why the return to office is so important to Softcat culture. We'll also be looking at how tech can ease the transition and how we're planning, rightly or wrongly, only time will tell, to get our staff back into the office. Joining me on today's episode is Graham Watt, CEO of Softcat, Rob Parkinson, CIO of Softcat, and Dean Gardner, Softcat's Field Chief Technology Officer. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for joining me. It's great to have you here to start the show. We always like to ask a question to get to know you guys a little better. So, Graham, as CEO of Softcat, let me start by asking you, what keeps you up at night? Well, I guess what's keeping me up at night at the moment is a, a Three Peaks challenge that I'm doing with the leadership team in uh, less than two weeks' time. But I guess that's not really the answer you're looking for. What keeps me awake at night is the well-being of the Softcat team during what is clearly challenging times in our, in our culture. And if I can just go into that in a little bit more detail, a lot of people familiar with Softcat know that our culture is very strong. It gives us a huge... I believe, advantage in a marketplace where it's difficult to differentiate. We've been able to lean on that culture, Zach, very successfully during lockdown. But the challenge is how you keep it front and centre of everything we do going forward, particularly in a kind of hybrid environment. Nice. And Rob, what part can IT play in helping Graham maybe get some sleep? For the Three Peaks Challenge, I'm not sure, unless maybe we get in some of those robotic legs that were seen in Wallace and Gromit. Um, certainly from the return to office, though, I think I've probably got a little bit more control, hopefully. From an IT perspective, as we return to the office, we want that user experience to be as seamless as possible. Um, we've introduced hybrid working. What we want to do is we want to create a pull to the office. We don't want to push the office. What we certainly don't want to have is, is a blocker through an IT experience that's negative. So we are working very much to a mantra that says the office setup needs to be at least as good as the individual's home setup that they've experienced over the last 18 months. Now, clearly, that covers a very broad range. So it's not a straightforward process, but it's, it's an interesting challenge and one we're really looking forward to. Graham, a way off sleep, but we'll be able to get there soon. Uh, Dean, um, an explain it regular. We know you already. So um, you OK? Hi, Zach. I'm, I'm good, mate. I've had both my vaccinations, so I'm superpowered. Great. Um, good to go this morning. Well, let's get stuck in, shall we? Graham, the big question. Let's get right to it. Why is the return to office so important for Softcat? And uh, what exactly is the plan? I'll tell you what the plan is, but I don't think we'll really truly understand or be able to articulate clearly what that end game looks like until probably sometime in calendar year 
2022. And let me explain why that is. I think what's obvious is that we need to balance the needs of our staff and the life choices they want to make with the needs of the company. And every individual will have different needs and different companies will have different needs as well. And I don't think that our team wants to get everything they would like in an ideal world uh, at the expense of the company. I think what they want is they want the things that give them a good work-life balance, but they also want to work for a company that's ambitious and ultimately will be successful and has a bright future for success in the future. So it has to, has to be a balance. So to answer your question a little bit more specifically, our direction of travel is for flexibility, to do what's right. If I was talking to you as an employee, which funnily enough you are, Zach, I want you to do, for example, I want you to do what's right for you. I want you to do what's right for your team and your manager. And I want you to do what's right for the company. And we'll continue to work on that. We'll keep an open mind and we'll learn together and we'll learn what works and we'll learn what doesn't work. And I don't think there's any upside at this point to establishing hard rules and guidance. But as a leadership team, we must move quickly if we start to see a negative impact. So we're going to learn and work things out as we go along. But as I said, I don't think we'll be able to really clearly articulate what that kind of end state is until next year when we get there and we fine-tuned it and we've discussed it and we've collaborated and we've done everything we need to optimise it for our team and, and, and for our customers too. And Zach, if I can add to that, I mean, what we're seeing is there are large organisations out there that have tried to define what that policy is now um, with, you know, dates like September in mind to kick those things off. And there's been backlashes. And I think there's that balance between what exec and, and, and certainly what business leaders are thinking is right and actually trying to get that opinion across many different areas of business to understand actually it's not going to be a fixed solution. It's going to be, as Graham's pointed out, understanding those different demographics, different people, different scenarios, and then having to be pretty agile to adjust expectations. But I think trying to define or dictate in some cases what it is fixed, I think we've already seen that there's a pushback instantly. We've been doing this for every year now. And I think that um, you know there has to be some cultural changes in a lot of organizations to meet those employee expectations. Otherwise, people will use their feet and walk and get other jobs. I think that's been seen in certain organizations. So I think it's a, an interesting plan. As any business, you, you can plan to a point, but you need to be pretty flexible to adjust in accordance with what you're seeing. I think you make a great point, Dean. I think I've learned from some of those mistakes that others have made in other organisations, if I'm honest. I was more in the camp of setting some of those clear guidelines to begin with. And I, I've been personally learning as we've been going along. I do think that most organisations will get to the right endpoint over time and probably a similar endpoint over time is how you get there. You can take the hard route and be very dictatorial and say, this is what we're going to do and risk the fallout that you've just referred to. Or you can be a little bit more, not exactly laissez-faire, but flexible, you know, be very flexible in our approach, learn from each other, talk, uh, work out what works, work out what doesn't work and get to the same place, but in a lot kind of more agile and, and more kind of people-friendly manner. I, I totally agree with you. So clearly the focus on return to office has been to get people back into the office in some capacity. However, with so many of the SoftCat workforce now working remotely, Rob, can you explain some of the logistical and technology challenges that we've faced with the people looking to return? Yeah, Zach, um, I'll probably focus, I guess, on three areas here. I'm going to think about 
devices. I'm going to think about collaboration and we'll talk about security a little bit. If I think back to the start of the pandemic and, and, and in particular devices, we had to, you know, like many other business, adapt very quickly to change. And, and in particular for, for us, that meant accelerating our rollout of laptops for staff. And that was quite a large change because it saw a move away from what was largely an office-based thin client access to a VDI environment for, you know, that was well over half our user base at the time. That in itself was a challenge. You know, there was at the start of the pandemic, there was well publicized global shortages due to the huge uptake in remote working. So, you know, we we struggled to get hold of kit. Um, and that, you know, persists to today. There's there's large, again, well publicized um, shortages of, of semiconductors and silicon, which is really impacting the global supply chain. So back at the start, we had to be creative. We looked at different solutions, even at one point using um, rental laptops to cover a, a three-month window while we were waiting for Kit to arrive in the UK. And that, again, persists today because we are now, we've changed our device strategy. We have laptops for all, and I'm looking at the desk of the future for the office, which removes those thin clients and also removes physical telephones. And I'll talk about a little bit about that in collaboration shortly. We are using docking stations because what I don't want to do is put Wi-Fi across all those offices that increase a huge load and burden on that Wi-Fi network. So we're using docking stations, which helps not only the connectivity to the, the uh, office network, but also to the, the dual screen setup that we have on each desk. But again, we're, we're seeing device shortages um, due to that global supply chain issues. We've rolled out docking stations to 50% of our desks in each of our offices, and currently that complies with social distancing. As we start to ease up and, and expect to see that so-called Freedom Day, hopefully on 19th of July, and we expect to see, I guess, more people coming into the offices, we're going to have to think about how we, how we stagger that in, how, how we do a slow burn until we're, we're in a position to have all those devices that we have. The change in device strategy also meant, you know, massive investment for us in other areas as well. So I've talked around that Wi-Fi network. We've done significant amounts of work on making sure that that's been vastly improved. And also the underlying network moving from a traditional MPLS network and we've migrated onto an SD-WAN network to allow for much greater bandwidth and also capacity in our network. One of the reasons we've done that, and I talked about collaboration, is our collaboration strategy change as well. As we went into the pandemic, we had a multitude of platforms some of those, again, quite well publicized, ran into some big issues uh, at the start. And that helped us very quickly move on to a single platform for collaboration, internally at least. And that was almost a de facto decision as we moved on to Microsoft Teams. We then have subsequently continued to invest in that. And, and with our collaboration platform, we've recently introduced uh, telephony into Teams as well. So we, we, we have an 8x8 integration into that platform. So we, we've managed to consolidate onto a single collaboration platform, making it much easier for our users. But also that that is a solution that works much more freely from a remote and hybrid scenario as well. So lots of investment there. With that introduction of that, though, and again, I think we'll come on to a, a later point, is we, we need to very much think about collaboration and certainly meetings and how they're going to work in the future because the introduction of hybrid working will probably very much see the chances of us all being together physically or all being remote are going to be less and less and we're going to be working in a hybrid scenario where we have people remote and we have people in offices and how will collaboration cope with that. And then the final bit I want to talk about is a little bit about security. So again, we've changed that device strategy. Uh, and of course, a change of de a device strategy at any point introduces, you know, a whole different security scenario. We've opened up our potential for exploits um, by introducing more devices and more control planes. Um, and also we are interested in now starting to see different attack vectors coming in. So again, that collaboration platform. For the first time last week, we, we saw a, a phishing attack coming in through Microsoft Teams. 
Now, we are very used to seeing phishing attacks coming in through a large mass scale through email. We've got lots of you know, wide ranging tools to, to detect those. And we don't have those at the moment in that collaboration platform. So luckily, one of our staff members saw that, they passed it up to our InfoSec team and we managed to catch it. But again, this is security is always a hotspot. Cybersecurity is one of the top three uh, spends for all of our customers, including ourselves. And again, we're just going to have to be on top of that and make sure that we're really adapting and changing to this new way of working. So hopefully that gives you an idea of sort of the three three sort of big areas that we've, we've seen focus on investment on and also challenges as, as we look to return to the office. Yeah, definitely. There are a lot of things to think about again there, Rob, and, and I think our challenges are exactly the same as the challenges for, for our customers. And just one point, just want to pick up on that hybrid meeting scenario. We're already, I mean, I'm in the office here today. We're already having hybrid meetings and we're already meeting some challenges with, with those hybrid meetings. I think technology will go a long way to resolve a lot of those challenges. But I think for important meetings, I can see a scenario where perhaps we might say, we want this to be 100% remote because if you view 100% remote to be a better working meeting, so everybody's in the same situation than a hybrid meeting, or we want it to be 100% physical. But I'm with you, Rob. I think the vast majority, if not all meetings, unless you make decisions to have certain meetings fully physical or fully uh, remote, will be hybrid. And I think the, the technology is still getting there in terms of supporting that environment. It's not easy, particularly if you've got, you know, 80% of the team are in the office together and you're one of the one or two remote. That, that's a challenge. I think tech, tech's been a brilliant enabler in all of this and has brought, there's been huge, vast and very rapid changes in that collaboration space, which has been absolutely brilliant and really helped lots of companies, including ourselves, through the pandemic. But to Graham's point, that hybrid meeting scenario is not so much about technology, it's about human interaction. And we're going to have to sort of relearn some of those ways to interact with each other and also some etiquette around meetings and just some process change that we're going to have to think about, which is less about technology and the same, much more about human interaction. There's a guide that Microsoft released, and it's a really, for me, it's an interesting uh, statement in there. And they split it into three areas, people, places, and processes. And there's a statement in places that they define, design for the people not in the room. And it's about the places of work, design it for that scenario, uh, more more so now than pretty much any, any other, other time. And I think that's the thing is that, you know, you've got to transform that physical space into something that is different to what it was, but gives that consistent ability for people to feel like they're contributing in the same way they used to. Design it for the people not in the room, I think is a really good statement. I think that kind of encapsulates that. I think, I think also, if you're going to give flexibility, Dean, I agree with that. I think if you're going to give people flexibility, you can't discriminate between those who work remotely and those who work from the office. It's, you know, you can't prejudice one against the other. Now, that's both emotionally and, you know, but also practically, we've got to give them the tools and the, and the technology that support them equally, as you said earlier. Early up, Rob, uh, equally re working remotely from from in the office. So I, I think one of the things a lot of businesses and our, so our customers are going to face, and, and I think Softcat are in a reasonably good position for this. Is you hear the buzzword at the moment around offices and creating collaboration spaces. Now I may be a little bit old school, but to me that's meeting rooms, and, and making sure that those collaboration spaces are, are equipped for the hybrid meeting scenario. Now again, I know at, at Softcat we have around 70 meeting rooms across our entire uh, office portfolio. And each of those is equipped with VC. 
and, and we've invested again in interoperability between our collaboration platform and that uh, VC estate to allow hybrid workings to, to work more successfully. So there is certainly a lot of work that needs to happen in that space and investment, I guess, from, from an overall UK workforce. This episode is sponsored by Veronis. Veronis is a pioneer in data security and analytics, specializing in software for data protection, threat detection and response and compliance. Veronis protects enterprise data by analyzing data activity, perimeter telemetry, and user behavior, prevents disaster by locking down sensitive data, and efficiently sustains a secure state with automation. And Veronis is offering Explain It listeners a free data risk assessment that will highlight your biggest data security threats. They will scan your environment and give you concrete steps to prioritize and fix major security risks and compliant issues in your data. So head over to veronis.com forward slash explain to register and Veronis will set up a call to explain how simple the process can be. In addition to those logistical and technology challenges you mentioned, we have to consider the well-being of our staff. There's been an increased focus on protecting the mental health of the workforce over the pandemic with an effort to keep the workforce connected and happy. How do you think that we can continue that focus on mental well-being throughout this next period of transition? Uh, And what have we put in place here at SoftCat? I'll take that, Zach. I think, uh, as I said at the top of the show, well-being is really important and something that does you know, more than capture my attention and that of the leadership team. I'm pleased to say at SoftCat, we've put quite a few initiatives in place to support people. I'm very happy that people feel generally in the wider society, but also at SoftCat, feel happier talking about some of those challenges that they, they face from a mental health perspective. Um, one of the things we did early in the pandemic was we had an employee helpline in place for um, for people suffering from mental health challenges and we extended that to people's families in lockdown recognizing that that, that would be um, a big positive we've got over 30 trained mental health first aiders in the company and that network of employees are trained to and available to support colleagues with with challenges uh, we installed during the pandemic a, a six weekly pulse survey was which was an opportunity to see how the respondents were coping and we're able to break the, the the responses we get down by break it down by gender, by age group, by office and departments, so that we can see any hotspots, identify any hotspots, and dig deeper. And it also gave employees an opportunity to ask for further help and connection, which many did. So we uh, we also set up a buddy scheme. So we now got over a hundred employees uh, who wanted to buddy up with somebody else, another colleague in, in the organisation. We were fortunate enough to be able to expose that need we were also fortunate enough to get over 100 volunteers to well actually less less than 100 volunteers to buddy because some of us do more more buddy with more than one person Uh, we've matched volunteers successfully to those who wanted a a further connection and and personally speaking i I don't think at least in in my experience the two buddies that i've been working with we have we have a great time They're, they're people that i wouldn't ordinarily connect with on a on a regular basis in two different offices and we have a great time we've even brought them together now we have a kind of joint buddy scheme the three of us together we've sort of moved it on a bit and um they're not in some case i understand people are challenged and have kind of real mental health issues these are just people who wanted somebody else to connect with unfortunately for them they got the ceo but um, i think they're coping with that okay we've done a lot of volunteering which is a chance obviously to give something back to the community but also a chance for people to feel good about doing something outside of the workplace and we had a well-being week last week 
across company-wide focus on things like physical health, fitness, support, sleep, managing stress, you know, what the coping mechanisms are, and financial health and, and many more areas too. And I think um, maybe Dean or Rob could touch on this, but the tech can help here too as well. I think we're increasingly seeing in tools and apps a health and well-being component to, to what we do. Um, I, we're considering, it's not a commitment, but we're thinking about should we install a, a, a well-being app um, for all employees so they can log their state of mind regularly and their motivation and help managers be aware and, and, and manage them, particularly you know, where a great proportion of our working life going forwards is going to be remote. We need to put a lot of energy into thinking about how we work. Rob touched on it earlier on. What protocols will we install so that colleagues don't feel like they're under 24 by 7 pressure to work and be available? You know, We've got to create clear dividing lines between when people get their own stuff done and when they're at the beck and call of others. That could be about when we have meetings and when we don't have meetings. There's all sorts of things we can layer on top of the technology. So that working practice protocol piece is very important as well. I think the other, just to conclude, the other anxiety people have is about change. We've, we've all been remote for so long now, we've kind of got used to it, the, the, the pros and cons of it. And so asking people now to return to the office is creating some levels of anxiety. I, I don't happen to have any personally. I'm in the office today. I enjoy being in the office, but I also appreciate that many do. And part of that is just change. We're, we're about to see a change and I think more people embracing the office. And I'd like to see, see that in a greater proportion than we do today. But specifically, people will have challenges about rearranging their lives. They're going to have to put back in how do they get to the office? How do they do that safely in a way they feel comfortable with? How, what support networks do they have to reinstall for their children? Getting them to school, their schooling generally, other family members, pets. I know a lot of people have bought pets during the pandemic. Well, how are they going to manage their, their dogs and whatever else? So I know there's a lot to think about and we'll be, as I said before, taking a very gradual approach and giving people the time and the space they need to kind of figure things out. I'll just jump in and then I know I'll let Dean talk a bit more because he's probably got a little bit more insight. But I think certainly on that tech, how can tech help? The big tech giants are picking up on this, certainly. They're looking at it as part of major platforms. So again, if you think about Microsoft, Viva, they've recently um, introduced Viva, which they're marketing really as a, an employee experience platform. So that, that talks about not only staff well-being, it looks at training and collaboration or within the, the viewer of, uh, of Teams. And of course, then there's smaller ISVs who are developing much more niche applications that, that target that are targeted towards mental health awareness and, and well-being and the stuff that Graham talks around there about people people logging their how they're feeling and all of that. So there is loads of this being targeted at the moment. Really exciting, you know, opportunities. It's clearly a rush to deliver a, a you know a, to a target market that, that's available now. So we're going to have to make some decisions about that. But yeah, it, we're not for there's not a lack of choice, I guess. And Dean, I don't know if you've got some more insight on some of that. I mean, the only comment I was going to make was that, you know, I used to think back 14, 15 months ago where everything changed and there was such a speed to get things working. And, and Rob's alluded to that, you know, what we had to do and organisations that we supported had to do that. And actually, we're getting into the realms of unknown in terms of the impact 
to humans and society and people and what that is creating. It's, a, it's almost a series of new problems that is not only just adults, but kids as well. And we're seeing all these things now emerge where we're all dealing with these new problems. And so sometimes innovation and technology isn't going to solve those things. It's just worth putting that out there. So, so we, can, we can create the best app in the world to kind of allow you to log how you're feeling. But fundamentally, it's a human emotion. And I think that we can't lose sight of the fact that we're connected in different ways, technology-wise and, and fundamentally, but we're connected more so as people. And certainly I've experienced that with my, with certainly my kids, you know, just having to adjust their expectations, I guess, based on a whole different world that they're growing up in. And I think that's more important, really. And it goes back to what Graham was saying. You have to cater for the mind and the, and the person and the individual based on their circumstance and situation. And I think that that is a absolute work in progress for everybody because I'm not a psychologist. You know, I don't have a degree in that to kind of work with someone who might be having some challenges. Certainly, you know, I've experienced my own challenges and I think we all have. We could we can all express situations individually where we've probably had moments where it's not been great. And I don't look at technology as a, a resolution for that. So I think it's worth noting that you can create the best technology in the world. And I think that we've created and certain vendors and ISVs have created the most incredible technology to enable us to carry on and work and function and evolve as a society globally. But it all comes down to for me, how we interact and work with each other individually and as a team and as collectives. And that is as, as important or more important than the technology itself. So I can, from a CTO perspective, go into the tech and the whys and wherefores of why you should. But the innovation and the digital transformation we're seeing has absolutely enabled everything to be more connected than ever before. Um, but we as humans need to be physically connected. Um, and that's as important. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so also then, the BBC have recently conducted a survey with 50 of the largest organisations in the UK, and we ourselves had a recent webinar on the return to office where we asked over 150 of our own customers for feedback. The consensus from both was that a move to a flexible hybrid working model made sense. Graham, do you see this type of working model becoming the norm for many organisations, both in the near term, but also part of a longer term strategy? I think the short answer, Zach, is, is clearly yes. Somebody in my team recently said that the genie is very much out of the bottle on this one. I would agree with that. I think some form of flexible hybrid working model will be available for most employees. Obviously, some functions and some companies won't won't be able to be so flexible you know if you're in retail or manufacturing or the leisure industry or security things like that you can't just sort of turn up when you when you want it, it just doesn't work for those industries but for many roles and many industries it will be very much the future near term and longer term and i think for me the challenges that we need to address and we're working on currently and we don't have the final answer yet but we're putting a lot of energy and effort into if I can outline three areas, one would be new starts. How do we make sure that people starting new into the organization have all of the guidance that they need and, and how do they build the relationships both inside the company and outside the company to be successful? Uh, they don't have those same opportunities in a remote working or a hybrid working environment. And we will then have to focus even harder on making sure that they do get those opportunities in a different environment. So that's one area I'm very thoughtful about. Secondly, management. How do you manage teams? And how do you manage yourself as a manager when your teams are frequently disparate and, and, and not physically together? And there's a lot of talk about trust. And, and I think we have dispelled any myths around there that you know, we couldn't trust our employees to, to work remotely. 
but we still know that some people's needs in a team are greater than others. They come at different times. Uh, some people perform better out of the gates than others, you know, whatever it is. And staying on top of that as a manager is going to be more difficult in a hybrid working environment. So I know there's a lot of kind of talk about measuring output rather than input. But how do we know that somebody's not become completely distracted by something? And, and you know, you, you don't have all of the physical cues and visual cues that you had before. So giving our managers tools and training and guidance they need is something we're working on at the moment too. And then my last point was really very much related back to Dean's earlier point. At the end of the day, it's how do we continue to be connected? We're humans. You, you can throw all the technology you want at us. But in order to have fun, to, to work together in a high quality way from time to time, in order to have recognition of success, I mean, a lot of that sort of stuff has got to come when we're physically together. And then if you can't be physically together all the time, which we obviously won't be, we've been talking about that a lot in, the, in this uh, podcast, what kind of connections do we need to make? to make sure people do feel connected and are connected. So for example, some of the things we've been changing now is we do, we do a lot more than we used to, all hands communications. It's very important for us to be able to tell the teams what's going on, what's on our minds, what's working, what isn't working, how we're performing. And we do that now regularly to keep and give everybody a chance. It's not man mandatory, but everybody has a chance to tune in and hear from the leadership team on how we're doing and what our priorities are and, and so on. And any new announcements that we've got to make to the team, we, we generally keep those for all hands call. We also go around recognizing that we've got nine and in fact now 10, including our, our, our US operation, 10 regional offices around the world. We also now um, do a regular, a little more conversation, which is an office by office communication from again, members of the leadership team, which is much more led by the local teams. The local teams get a chance to ask their questions and, and it's sort of, the balance is the other way. Whereas in an all hands, it might be 50 minutes kind of broadcast and 10 minutes Q and A. This is 10 minutes broadcast and 50 minutes Q and A or whatever's going on inside that local office, any questions they've got. So I think that human touch and the connections piece is the third piece of what I think are things that we're gonna to continue to work on and evolve as we go through what's inevitably a flexible hybrid working environment for most companies going forwards. I'd agree broadly with Graham and I think hybrid working is, is, is definitely here to stay. To what level? I don't think any of us know right now. And of course, there's, there's a whole load of conflicting data out there and different stories. So you get some stories telling you in two years time that we're going to return to the levels we saw of office-based work pre-pandemic. And of course, on the other hand, there's there's the flip side to that. So you're seeing a load of these big, big organizations are already saying, I was just reading this morning that Deloitte have become the latest organization who've gone out and said for their 20,000 UK workforce that they're going to be allowed to work wherever they want, whenever they want. I'm somewhat skeptical. I think I'm getting into that age where I think, are they doing this purely as a differentiator, as an incentivization to make that an aspirational organization to join, you know, calling them out differently from their competitors? I think there's going to be a bit of a shakedown over the next couple of years and, and things will settle down. And, and clearly the, the vaccination program has gone fantastically well. And then, you know, as we talked around a little before, that there's that getting back to that normal pattern of life of, of balancing children and, and, and school and your work in your work life and your personal life and pets and holidays and all the other things. And it's going to take a little bit of time to, to settle down till we know what that true pattern looks like. But yeah, I, I definitely think hybrid working is, is here to stay. And, and we are absolutely embracing that here at Softcat. We've talked quite a bit about hybrid working, but Rob, your point there 
segues perfectly into my next question, really. You mentioned some uh, companies coming out with statements, but we've seen banks and other financial institutions are demanding that their staff come back full time. Whereas, as you say, other big organisations are using a work from anywhere ethos. Is that sustainable? Or do you think, as recent reports have indicated, we'll see most drift back to that traditional five day in the office again? Yeah, I mean, just covering what Rob was saying, really, we've we've seen so many organisations kind of try and create their own data points to reference and advertise those and actually make some statements about you know, the likes of Deloitte's and actually KPMG doing the complete opposite. So so we're seeing kind of these contradicting statements from these organisations. I just think there's a, there's a factor, though, that the office is not closing. Nobody's shutting down offices, as we can see. So I think the, a lot of these statements are, I think, going what's kind of what Rob was saying, it's almost like statements of intent for PR in some cases. You know, Google has cited some stats to say 60% of workers they believe will go back to the office in some capacity once, you know, things have settled down. But 20% will probably work in different offices on locations around the world. And the other 20% will work remotely. And, and I think if you look back pre-pandemic, some organizations were kind of probably at that stage anyway. So, so I think that it's about basically giving the flexibility and the hot desking for those that do choose to work more remotely. But I don't think any of us will work five days a week at home if you've got an opportunity and you've got an office-based environment, because fundamentally, people will go back to that in some form. But five days a week will be suitable for some. It won't be suitable for others. And I think that you can make all the statements in the world, but it's about that employee empowerment and and giving them choice. And I think if you take away the choice or start enforcing statements such as you will be doing three days a week and that's it, and two days a week at home if you're allowed and anything longer you have to get signed off, which is what some organizations, you know, we can cite Apple as an example, you're just getting pushback from that. So I think the the likes of Deloitte and others who are saying, actually, we're saying you can work from remotely, but we're going to give choice ultimately. The offices are still there. And I think that we're going to get into this state where it's going to be very comfortable for the individual based on their circumstance. And if the organization is encouraging that either way without an individual going too far, I think you know you need to be mindful of the fact you can't have an individual getting paid and never be seen ever again. I think that's kind of <laughs> something that no organization wants. You, know, you have to contribute to the business you're working for. So I think that there's going to have to be employee empowerment. And I think that's the key thing. Trust is one thing, but actually giving them tools, capability to do their job, that's the main thing. And then obviously, there has to be an element of understanding what they do, what they deliver, and then measuring their output accordingly to ensure that they're successful in what they do. And I think all of that combined is pretty much where organizations were before. I think that we're so much more data-centric now. There's so much more data available based on tools we're using. In theory, you could police it a lot more than you could ever do before. So, you know, there's a balance to be had. If you really wanted to start looking at the data behind productivity, you can do that more now than you could ever do. So, so ultimately, I think there's a flexibility in empowering the user and giving them the choice. But I don't think anybody will choose or a lot of people won't choose to work at home five days a week, 300 and whatever days a year, 24-7 they're going to have that flexibility on their hours and their location, and they're going to want to go and meet people they work with and collaborate. All of those things are going to be more so than ever before once, as I say, the vaccination starts kicking in and people start having that confidence that they can go about their business in the way that they did before. And I think going back to what something Graham said earlier, it's that confidence, that not feeling like you 
are going to be nervous about doing it or it's going to impact you because of your health and well-being and your mental state. So you need to be comfortable that society is in a position to support it as well. And that's where the vaccination, as I say, comes in and it, and it kicks in. And I think all of that combined will create, I'm sure, a balanced workforce as opposed to a hybrid one and more flexibility, more time with your family, more time to look after your animals. Great. Who, who doesn't want all those things as long as you've got a job that pays a salary, allows you to do it in a way that you're contributing and feeling like you're getting something out of it yourself as well as the company you're working for. So my view is hybrid working, yes. Balanced working is probably, for me, more relevant. Yeah. No, I agree. I think at, at first, when the whole working from home thing happened, there was a sort of a novelty about working from home. It hadn't really been done before. But actually, in my role, my role is specifically about building relationships with account managers at Softcat, and I cover three or four offices. I'm never going to be able to do that to the same level if I'm not in those offices during the week at some point. So I definitely agree. I think balanced is or hybrid is is the way forward there. Just to jump on on one thing you said there, Zach, you then create... Another challenge there is how do you coordinate you being in the office at the same time as the people that you need to rightly say you need to be seeing? Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of thought and work needs to go into how we manage our time and when the right times are to be in the office because there's clearly no point being in, in an office if you're not going to interact with the people in that office. If all of your meetings are online with people that aren't in that office, yeah. then you may as well be somewhere else and save yourself the commute time and all the other things that give you benefits ordinarily. So I think it, there's a lot of thinking still to be done, as you, as you rightly point out. Uh, Rob, technology areas associated with collaboration, cloud connectivity, and the ongoing security threats are continually having to evolve at a rapid rate. In your opinion, what advice would you provide to IT teams that are trying to keep up? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, Zach. I mean, the rate of change, truly, uh, I mean, it's, it's alarming and it's without doubt the most challenging time I can recall from my own perspective in a technology leadership role. And I've been doing this a long time. The landscape changes, you know, from day to day. So, I mean, what can we do really to, to mitigate that ever-changing and moving landscape is a question. And I think two areas I would focus on. The first thing I would focus on and advise is having an IT strategy and a roadmap. And I know that sounds incredibly simple and obvious, but I know loads of organizations that don't have a strategy in place or have had to rapidly change their strategy due to the pandemic and what that's forced in terms of moving direction, pivoting and various other things. And that needs to be aligned to the overall business objective and focus on you know, really how technology helps to deliver those objectives. And the roadmap really should then detail the timeline and the considerations for implementations and not forgetting possibly decommissioning things as well, because that's just as important. Focus really on platform, software, hardware, infrastructure, security, et cetera, and, and align that roadmap to that strategy. Again, with that ever-changing pace and the speed that things are moving at, I certainly wouldn't advise a, a trying to plan that strategy more than three years out, because even two years out, some of that's going to be redundant and having to be a replanned exercise. The second thing I'd then probably think about is really making sure that you're seeking out expert advice on the ever-changing landscape and, and working with a partner network to help support that. There's a growing skills gap um, and recruitment is becoming much more difficult for organisations. So having a, a network of trusted advisors and partners who can keep you uh, you know, up to date and on track is, is a huge value. We use them at Softgat here and of course at Softgat as well, we provide those services to our customers. I think partners offer real value in supporting both tactical solutions to deliver short-term objectives, but also they can definitely help support that strategic longer-term planning exercises. So, so those are two areas that I think are, are really worth valuing and, and focusing on. 
Technology has made some lightning fast developments to facilitate better communication and collaboration in this age of home working. Uh, going forward, how will organizations adapt their investments in those fields to fit back to the return to office and hybrid environments of the future? I don't think anybody's going to be in investments, but they're going to adapt those investments. And, and again, this is, to me, this is all within the shakeout of a transitional period and settling down and how do we adapt to this and what does hybrid working look like? And how does technology support that and adapt to it? And again, technology doesn't give you all the answers. Technology will move on and our collaboration platforms and spaces will become better and more interactive and more collaborative and, and have better features. But there's a human element to all of that as well. And again, we have to adapt to that. So, so I think as people return to the office, as they go back in, just as technology supports a lot of that and, and supports hybrid working, it, you know, we again have to focus on how do we adapt those processes, the human interaction to, to improve, that, improve that hybrid working as well. My, my only add to the technology side of it is that I think what we're seeing is that the innovation that certain vendors have put into their technology stacks, Microsoft, Google, et cetera, those kind of organizations, certainly when it comes to collaboration and working with some of their tools that we all work with, it's that simplification piece. They're bundling so much more technology in to enable the user to do much, much more. And I think there is this kind of, going back to what Rob was saying, this strategy view within uh, a lot of our customers where there's so much now they've got at their fingertips or the technologies that they've invested in. There is a simplification narrative. You can get rid of some of the legacy technologies because of the technologies that you've implemented um, and customers have implemented over the last 12 months. And actually, by these vendors having those bundled models in, you know, we talk about Microsoft 365 a lot and we talk about what Google Workspaces gives. These kind of tools and these platforms now, there's so much more you can do with those investments that potentially you could have done with other tools and that simplification. We're seeing that. We're seeing our customers actually training and understanding actually what's available with some of those technologies. And there are others out there, vendors, obviously. Um, and we're seeing a lot more of our consultants giving and empowering those IT teams to understand the capability of those tools, turning those features on to then simplify essentially an IT landscape and consolidate it into something. It makes technology sense, but also makes investment sense and actually gets rid of some legacy vendors potentially they don't necessarily need and don't need to kind of keep supporting. So, so I think there's that ability to consolidate down to simplify some of the decisions based on the investments that organizations have made. And we've, we've seen that in so many different areas around security, around modern workplace. And that's in some cases freeing up those customers now to go and innovate and start building new applications and workloads and ensuring that those are secure and obviously can focus on some of the new things their customers are asking them to do. So, so I think there's the simplification as part of that strategy, doing the same thing you did before. I think, you know, that, that is the question. Do you really want to do that when you've got a lot more technology and innovation? in your investments that have been rolled out over the last 12 months. That is nearly it for today. But before we finish, Dean, as the explainer stalwart on the episode today, would you be able to give a quick summary of what we've discussed and some final thoughts? You're asking me to, to do something quickly. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> look, hybrid working or balanced working, you know, is, is here to stay. I think we're all acknowledging that hard and fast plans probably not possible at the moment. We're still in amongst this change in working culture. Organizations are having to kind of a be, be adjust and be agile with that. And overall, you know, it's about employee empowerment. It's about supporting the employee, their well-being and their way of working to ensure that you can cover so many different situations now. And the technology has absolutely enabled and allowed that. And, um, and we as an organization, I think it's clear that we're supporting our employees in that way, in the most effective way as possible, whilst encouraging them if they want to go back to the office to do so. Perfect. 
I think that's a good good summary. I'd just like to add, if I may, just to, I, I think you, you made a really important point earlier on, Dean, and reinforced it there, that you know we can have all the technology we like in the world, and technology is a great, great enabler for good. But at the end of the day, we're people, and it's, it's, the, it's the kind of parameters you put into using the technology, how you use it, how you apply it, that, that makes all the difference. And I, I just think that we've got a good chance to reevaluate everything we do, the rationale for it, the value add of some of the things that we did in the past, whether it's good for the planet or not, whether it's good expense, good cost or not. Nobody knows really how things are gonna pan out, but my own personal view is that the current levels of interaction that we see in the office, not just at SoftCap, but you know, all, all over the place, aren't sustainable. I think people need people, people, most people need other people. They need people to have fun and, and to be successful. I think you said it there, Dean, it's about not putting any hard and fast expectations in place at this stage. It's about keeping an open mind. It's about learning from each other. We're going to take our time. We're going to settle on a position that's balanced. We used that word quite a bit earlier on, balanced for everyone. And also something that people are confident about as well. It has to be a position that people are confident about as employees and that the business is confident will bring success too. We're a people-led business and we're always trying to balance the needs of our, our team with the needs of the business. And I think from a leadership point of view, just in closing, I think it's about taking a calm and pragmatic approach, but being quite cautious, taking it step by step and keeping a very active dialogue with each other, both inside the company and outside the company as well. So I think we've all got a, a lot to learn. I'm not big on making statements about what our working environment is going to look like. I tried to do that a few months ago. I made zero or even negative progress because I realized I didn't have all the answers and nor did my team. Uh, so we're working towards those answers in a very, as I say, calm and pragmatic way. Perfect. Well, thanks, guys. That is about all we've got time for today. Graham, Rob, Dean, thank you so much for joining. It's been great hearing your thoughts on the return to office mission. And thank you for listening. If you want to know more about anything that was discussed on the episode today, do get in contact with us. Feel free to email us at podcast at softcap.com. Make sure you click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd also really appreciate you giving us a review or a comment on whatever podcast platform you use. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to Explain It from Softcat.